You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. We're going to open the word of God in a second. Let's just pray before we do that. Lord God, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that you have a word for us today. And Lord God, we're thankful for what you did last weekend, but God, we know you are not finished yet. And God, we pray right now for every person that you'd give us ears to hear what it is that you want to say. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you may be looking at me today and thinking that I look like I've changed. Many of you might think that. You might think something is different about her. Is it the hangover from Rise Conference? Possibly. Uh, is still ongoing. Is it, uh, is it uh, new shoes? No, these are old shoes because I need comfortable ones because the hangover from Rise. Something different has happened in my life recently. Are you ready? I have an air fryer. Okay. Uh, hands up if you have an air fryer. Oh, look around the room, people. This is the location with the air fryer. Cumbria have not heard of such a thing. They've not been invented in Cumbria. They're still using fires. Um, now, here's what's going to happen. Shh. It's already happening. Now the air fryer people are going to start sharing recipes. Um, and I can guarantee that for the next week, most of my feeds and conversations with people will be based on, have you tried this in an air fryer? I am that person. I've wanted one for a long time, but I, I live with a husband who doesn't want to spend money or do things like that. Um, but I am someone who does 99% of the cooking, apart from poached eggs, that everything else is mine in the house. And so I've wanted one for a long time, and, and we've had various conversations and reasons why we can't have an air fryer. And the main one being that Ben, like my mum, doesn't like clutter on the side. And we have quite a lot, a lot you know, plenty of kitchen space, but he's like, if you stop talking about air fryers and I get back to Jesus... I can hear the muttering of, have you tried the pizza thing? Yes, we have. Um, if you want an air fryer, something has to go. We're not having more stuff on our kitchen sides. I don't like it. And he thought that, yeah, that's my mum clapping because she's the same. Um, and so um, I'm like, I uh, just, <clears throat> uh, that is no challenge to me because I, I want an air fryer. So uh, that day, Ben came home and I'd thrown away the spice rack. Uh, <laughs> Um, because the thing is, I, I, have a spice, you know, I have spices in the cupboard. These are all gone off. They're too hard. It's just I haven't got time to empty spices from one thing to put them in another thing so they match. So I threw it away, and Ben was outraged. Because in his heart, although he enjoys an empty side, he's a hoarder. And I have a theory about marriages, that marriages work if there's one hoarder and one thrower. Um, and then I'm like, okay, okay, let's, let's, let's test this. Okay, let's, 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 okay, who is a hoarder? Okay, it's a safe space. You can say these things. Who's a thrower? <laughs> oh, it works. I'm looking around at couples. Okay. Um, ben has, he's not here. He's preaching in Cumbria or doing something in Cumbria today. Um, oh, Workington have a new building today. Good job, boys, said to mention that. Uh, Workington have a new building today that's starting. So there's a lot of team over there getting them ready in a cinema today. Um, and uh, he has hoards things. Like when we moved house, he like kept boxes and boxes of CDs and tapes. Who's going to ever use these things? And posters. I'm like, throw them away. But no, no, no. But I throw things. If he's not looking, it gets thrown. But however, I am not as ruthless as my oldest son. Asher is like a whole other level of throwing stuff away. 
Yesterday, we were trying on suits for a wedding that's coming up. And uh, he bought a new tie, so he doesn't need his old tie. So he was trying to throw it away. And I'm like, you can have more than one tie, Asher. And he's like, I have no reason for this in my life. I have one tie at the time, then I throw it away. Can I put it on Vinter to make some money? No. Nobody wants your old tie from when you were 14. Um, but he doesn't like to have things. When he packed for Cambodia for three months, he had less in his bag than when I went to Germany for five days. Because he travels light. And actually, we need to be a bit more like that in terms of traveling light in our world. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely to us. Let us run with endurance, or another version says perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have this race marked out before us. We have a race that we are called to run. We're called to, to be part of. We're called to participate. God has given you a race. It makes me think of sports day that's coming up for a lot of you parents. Uh, get ready for your mums and dads' races. They are a feast to behold. Uh, but there's a, mar- a race marked out for us. And God's saying, come on, there's something happening for you. I've given you plans. But what happens so often is what life happens. And then we pick up stuff on the way. And we end up carrying things that we were never created to carry. Stuff gets in. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, I uh, had a shoulder issue. My right shoulder was just hurting all the time. And it'd get better for a few weeks and then it'd be bad again. And tried all various things that were cheap and free. And then eventually I thought, I'm going to have to suck it up and go to a chiropractor. And as I walked in, and you pay £35 for like two minutes of being looked at and clicked in a way and I was not keen on this but I thought something has to happen my shoulders just driving me crazy it was stopping me sleep and everything so I went in and as I walked in his room he said I know what's wrong with you before he even looked at me properly he said you have mum shoulder and I'm like that seems like a thing you've made up that does not seem like a thing that's worth 35 pounds as a treatment thing and he said loads of especially women have this when they are carrying small children armed with backpacks or change bags full of iPads, snacks, so many snacks, drawing things, nappies, wipes, all this stuff. And what happens is you have a child permanently attached to your hip, which I did, his name was Noah, and a bag permanently attached to you, and you're walking like this. And what happens is you become a bit lopsided, and you kind of start walking, and then your shoulder starts to drop a bit, and it's not made to drop. And he said, you're carrying things in a way that you were never designed to carry stuff. How often is that the same with us with life? that we're carrying stuff into our lives that we were never created to carry. We're carrying bitterness. We're carrying unforgiveness. We're carrying sadness. We're carrying regret. We're carrying sin. We're carrying shame. And we're dragging it in to the stuff that God's calling us to. And then we're saying, hey, how come I'm stuck? You know, I feel like God is calling me on. I feel like God is he's saying these good things to me. And yet here I am stuck with my issues. And I would encourage you, it's because you're holding on to stuff that you were never created to hold. It's time that we get rid of this stuff and put it down so we can run the race that was marked before us. Because God has called you. He knows you. He set you where you are. He gave you the family that you have, the influence that you have, the position that you have, the time that you live. And heaven is cheering us on and saying, come on, run a race that's set before you. If you've been to sports day and you've seen those fanatical parents, my husband was one of them, that would shout and scream and be like, come on. Imagine heaven doing that. That's what's happened. God is in heaven are watching you saying, come on, let go of that bitterness. Come on, you can be free. Come on, choose to move past that thing. Come on, don't be defined by that one thing. Come on, move on from this stuff. 
but some of us are trying to drag our stuff with us. And we pray a bit, we kind of let it go a little bit, and then we pick it up again because it's actually quite comfortable and it actually feels normal. I remember when I was diagnosed with the, the great thing called mum shoulder, it did have another more technical term, but that was what it was known as. I remember having to consciously think all the time, no, I can't carry you on that side. I had to carry him here. And it felt weird because I'm right-handed with everything. And I had to learn to kind of carry him differently or, or sometimes for me not to carry him at all. And the same is true of when we let things go. We've got to keep walking in the habits of letting things go because people are watching from heaven, but also people in your world are watching. You know, parents is so key that we model how to follow Jesus really well. This generation is up and coming, are brilliant. I was at Elevate this week. It was absolutely wild. I was slightly panicked about the carpet because the games were just rank. They were just another level of disgusting. Um, and, I, and the weird thing is your kids volunteer for it every time. They just elevate. Why do you put your hand up for these games? Like someone, they were drinking tuna mixed with banana milkshake on, sun, on Friday. I mean, with a bit of Coke and ketchup mixed in, which I'm not sure helped. Pardon? Gravy was in it. So, oh, it was so bad. But aside from the games, I love that there's kids that are fired up for God. I love that God is doing something. But, we, but what they're looking for as a generation, more than ever before, is a sense of authenticity. That what people are saying is actually what they are. They're not into fake. I think a lot of our young people are fed up of fake. They, they understand the idea of fake. They all have Instagram and TikTok and they see fakeness. And they don't want fake. And parents, we can say one thing, but if we're not modeling it, it matters. Because we've got a cloud of witnesses, which includes on earth as well. And I want to encourage your parents to make good decisions when it comes to putting church in your diary and following Jesus. And you can say, well, it's easy for you to say you're a pastor, your kids have to come. But can I tell you, there's pastors, kids all around the world that are struggling because of this. We've made a million mistakes with our kids. You can ask the boys later for details if you want to. They'll probably quite happily tell you things that we've done wrong even this week. But one of the things that we've actively worked on is making sure that we talk good about God's bride, that we talk well about the bride of Christ. And believe me, we have more reasons to be anti the bride of Christ than many of you do because we've been hurt probably more times than many people in the church. But we've chosen to make sure that we talk about the bride in a positive way because actually what we want is the church, the house of God, to be the place that when things are difficult, our kids want to be in. And some of you right now are struggling because you're thinking, yeah, but I've done that and my kids are still not close to Jesus. Sometimes you don't know. You can't make every decision for your kids. We just talked about that on the stage with the beautiful family that we're here. They can't decide everything, but they can decide where they're going to position them. And so often what I hear from, from friends of mine who've got older children is that maybe their kids aren't attending church anymore, but as soon as something goes wrong, the moment something goes wrong, what happens is they'll call and say, Mom, would you pray? Because parents have instilled something about, okay, when things are difficult, it's Jesus that you reach out to. And they know something. You can't decide everything, but you can decide where you're going to plant them. Kids are looking at how things go. Do you go to church when it's easy or just all the time, even when it's hard? Parents is so key. And I want to talk today about something where someone learned to let go of the past and realize that people are watching them. It's a story in the Bible. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke 5. Luke 5 from verse 1 to 5. It says this. Talk about someone watching. Luke 5. One day... As Jesus was standing on the lake of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat. 
When Peter finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is the start of kind of understanding something about what Peter is like. Not Peter, the youth leader, Peter, the apostle. Um, Peter had been fishing for a long time. He was a fisherman by trade. It's likely his family were fishermen as well. He grew up knowing about fishermen. Lake Galilee, some of you may have been, is in kind of a, a valley. And so it's known for kind of terrible weather. I mean, did you hear the lightning and the thunder? Like, we can't hear lightning. You see the lightning. Did you hear the thunder last night? It was pretty epic, wasn't it? But this is quite common in the lake where he'd be fishing. There were storms sometimes. We read about them later. It was cold and, or it was hot. It was windy. But he knew how to deal with the temperatures and the, the, the ferocity of what happened in this, these boats. He was a fisherman. And he'd been out all night and done nothing. And I wonder if that day Simon Peter was starting to question his life choices. Have you ever had one of those moments where you think, maybe I need to change my career? <laughs> so if you're very vocal about that right now, teachers, hold on. You've got two weeks left. It's nearly end is in sight. Um, maybe he's questioning it. He's just had this experience where his mother-in-law nearly died and Jesus healed her. But maybe he's starting to think about, well, what if she gets ill again? I'm responsible for the family. And clearly I'm not doing very well at this. And then Jesus rocks up and says, hey, I want to use your boat. And knowing what we do about Peter, he's probably quite proud of that because he felt like he was the chosen one because he was a bit of a tool sometimes. And so he's like, yeah, you can use my boat. And so he lets Jesus use his boat. And he's been out all night, so he's tired. And Jesus starts to to teach the people from his boat. And then he comes back and says to Peter, okay, I want to uh, do something now. I want to take your people. I want to take your boat and do something. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is not logical. We've been working at this all night. And Jesus says, okay, take the boat back out, let down the nets. He knows fish. Simon Peter doesn't know a lot, but he knows fish. And he's like, this is not We've already done it. The fish that we catch, they're nighttime fish. They're more kind of likely to be caught, easy to be caught in the nighttime. We've tried it. But something about Peter decides, okay, even though Jesus is a teacher, I'm going to listen to what he says. Peter starts to understand something that faith is not always part of logic. Sometimes we are so obsessed with doing the logical thing that we push faith out the window. If we are who we say we are, if we're people that follow what God is saying, if we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then sometimes, I'm not saying every time, don't be lunatic, but sometimes God is speaking to us and we've got to go beyond what's logical, what feels safe, what feels okay, and start to walk in faith. Because the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And how about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and, and have an encounter with God, which is not going to happen because God's so gracious. But I want God to be proud of me. I want to make sure that I live a life that pleases God. So we've got to have faith. And something in Simon Peter says, okay, even though it makes no sense, I'm going to send my boat back out and I'm going to do exactly what you've said. There was loads of reasons he could have said no. The first thing is this, he didn't want to look stupid. We are so aware of not looking stupid. Anyone kind of agree that they don't really like to be looking like an idiot? Or most of you are fine with that? Okay, elevate, you're fine, but the rest of us are not big fans of it. Um, I was preparing this a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, have you ever had an encounter with the Holy Spirit where you thought, is that you or is that the devil? Because that doesn't sound like something I want to do. And uh, <laughs> I was prepping this and praying, and I really felt like this point in particular, God said, when was the last time you did something where you felt like you're going to look stupid? And I'm like, oh, 
I don't really like to do that. I am 40-something. I don't know how old I am. I'm 42, 43, who old? I don't know. Um, I don't like to look stupid. I don't mind doing stuff to elevate, but I'm, I just, no, I don't want to do something. And I really felt really clear that God said, okay, you can't preach about faith as logical and then live a logical life. You've got to do something. And I'm like, I've planted churches. That's not logical in a pandemic. But it was so clear, and this just wouldn't go. So this week, I did something really weird and illogical. I went to Workington, which in itself, weird and logical. Uh, <laughs> I went to Workington and had a day on the streets talking about Jesus. Um, and, and it was so weird. It was so scary. It was so uncomfortable. I'm just not good at that. Liam, that's kind of got you all over it. But for me, I'm like, I'd rather just do anything but that sort of stuff. Uh, and I, uh, Judy and Jess from Workington came with me. They were both up for it because weirdly God had said similar things to them recently. So I was like, let's go and do it. And then I got to Judy's house and they like, looked at me and I realized, okay, you think I know what I'm doing here and you think I've got a plan. And they're like, what are we doing? I'm like, I have no idea. We've got some flyers that we're going to go find people. And until lunchtime, we'd done very little. It was a very unimpressive story. And I was like, oh, come on, if I've done all this, maybe sometimes it's just obedience. And I'm like, that's fair enough. I've done what you said, God, fair enough. And then we had like another hour and I was like, oh, this is just like, we had conversations, but there was nothing kind of like, you know, brilliant. It was just fine. And I went to Asda, to go to the toilet. And as I was in the toilet and I was washing my hands, I just had this thing of like, God, would you just speak to me clearly about where, if you brought me here, because I do feel like this is so ridiculous. It was never my idea. I'm busy this week. I don't like driving. I've got to drive to Surely there's a reason. And I just had this picture in my head of a bridge in Workington. And so I kind of came out of the toilet and said, Judy, where's the white bridge that's got graffiti on? And she was like, there's no people there. Like, yeah, okay, fine. So we went back to town, and I was like, dude, I need to go to this bridge. Where is it? So I went to the bridge, and this is so a God story and not a me story, because it's so not what I want to do. I'm not that sort of person. I went to the bridge, and there's one lady there, and I said to her, oh, hi, I'm from a church. Um, we, um, we're putting a church in a cinema this week, and we're just talking to people about, do you go to church? And she said, oh, finally, I've been praying for someone from Influence Church to find me. I'm like, so I said, have you already talked to Judy down there? And she was like, I don't know who Judy is. So I said, I've been praying. I became a Christian during COVID and I'm too scared to come into your church on my own. So I asked God to send someone to speak to me about church. And then you've come. How amazing is that? And as I'm having a conversation with her, Jess is over the road, like, waving at me, trying to look really cool, and then, like, waving. And there's a couple who'd moved from South Africa who were kids pastors in their previous church in South Africa, had moved to Workington, said they got lazy and just haven't gotten a church yet, and had prayed that morning for a church to kind of stand out to them. I mean, how crazy is that? Sometimes we've got to risk looking stupid. Sometimes you've got to do stuff that feels utterly uncomfortable. You want to be uncomfortable? Go and serve at Elevate. You want to be uncomfortable? Go and serve at Storehouse. Hey, Pete needs people at Storehouse at the moment. He's got a great team, but he needs more people at serving at Storehouse. You want to do something completely uncomfortable? Serve somewhere. Go and do something random. Take some flyers for your street and give some flyers out on the streets. And if there's no one there, just do the, the houses. There's people there. Have a conversation. The worst thing that can happen is they say no, which we had quite a lot of those stories too. Um, but you just don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes we've got to be not so scared at looking stupid. Peter's friends who were fishermen could have said, what a stupid thing to do. We've already fished Peter. Why are you back out there again? But Peter took a risk. The second thing is this. Peter could have said, I'm too tired. He'd been out all night. He's tired and he's due a rest. Now, there's different reasons why people are tired. Sometimes it's because people are sick and that's a different type of tired. Sometimes it's just a season of, you know, I've given, I've given, I've given. I need a little bit of break. But sometimes if we're honest, 
most adults here would say that they're a bit tired. Because I feel like you hit 17 and then you just get a bit tired. And that becomes our normal. And you, you talk to people and you say, how are you? And the usual thing that people say, especially after this week, is I'm tired. Because it's like the human condition. I feel like it's part of Adam and Eve's fault. We'll have that conversation when we get to I wonder if at first no one was tired. And this is part of sin entering the world. Um, but there is different reasons. If, if, it's, if you're poorly, that's different. But if you're just tired, I don't feel like going to church. And sometimes I've got to push through. Because you just don't know what's on the other side of it. Joyce Mayer, who many of you will have heard of and quoted before, said this. There are no drive-through breakthroughs. You want a breakthrough, you've got to go through. Sometimes we're so aware of our limits. Sometimes we just put the no on the end of what we're doing so often. We want to be comfortable. I like comfort. I like the occasional night in to watch the office or, or you know, suits or whatever. Or what. I like watching stuff. I like being comfortable. I like a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's. You've got to tell me these last two weeks when we're doing Rise, there's been a fair amount of Ben and Jerry's consumed in my house. I like having nice nights in, but sometimes we've got to move past what's comfortable and go to what's uncomfortable. The Bible says this in Romans, uh, in Romans 1, uh, 12 verse 1. It says, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, Unto God, this is your reasonable service. Sometimes we're going to move past what feels comfortable and acceptable and walk through things. Because often breakthrough requires a breaking through. It's not a sit through, it's a breaking through. And that includes sometimes pushing what you feel like is acceptable to God. And that's often where breakthrough comes. A few weeks ago, We'd had a busy few weeks, and I've been preaching away at the weekends down south with Louise. And uh, we work, one of our roles is that Ben and I serve uh, voluntarily for AOG. And so we look after, well, now about 100 pastors in the area <clears throat> between Manchester and Scotland. And so we, you know, sometimes we do a bit of traveling on evenings, and we had two events coming up that week. And did the first one, it was great. We weren't doing lots, we were just kind of talking to pastors. The second one came around and Ben said to me, you look exhausted. And I was like, my tired is tired. Like, I am just beyond tired. And so he said, look, it's acceptable for you to not be there tonight. No one's going to think anything of you. You had a big, busy week. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly the answer I wanted. That's good husbandship. <clears throat> I'll take that. Thanks. Yeah, I could do with a DVD day, really. And I kind of went into the kitchen, stroked my air fryer for a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> You do think I'm joking, but Asher, it's true, isn't it? I do love the air fryer. It's become my third child. It's replacing Asher when he leaves me soon. Um, eats less of my food. Um, and, and as I was there, actually not just stroking the air fryer, doing something, I felt so clearly the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, my grace is sufficient for you. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Let me tell you how tired I am. Let me go through my rotor at the moment. Let me just, and I just felt so clear the Holy Spirit said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. And I was like, you go. I don't want to go. And just had this kind of battle back and forth and just thought, okay, I'll go. And, and even on the day, Ben was like, you don't need to come. You're not on anything. You're just like doing offerings and you don't need to come. But I really felt like God spoke to me about push through this. Do you know when I got there, I had one of the best encounters with God that I've had for a long time. I wasn't preaching. One of our friends was preaching. And it was like one of those moments where it feels like it's between you and God. It's one of those moments where God just gave me, deposited her truths and, and hope. And I left there late, but feeling more full of faith than I had done for a long time as we entered into more busyness. Sometimes you've got to push through what feels like is possible because breakthrough sometimes is on the other end of what you're doing. And if, if Peter had stayed where it was safe, he would have missed out. The third thing is this, this sense of I've already tried it before. Sometimes we can be old before we're old. Have you ever met an old teenager? 
I've met some. That I've already been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I don't want to do this. I've already tried to go into a conference. I've already tried this. And I remember when we were youth pastors thinking, I will never be that sort of senior pastor. Because we had senior pastors, pastors Pat and Dave, who never were those sorts of people. They would let us get away with anything. We were youth pastors uh, in the olden days, and we did ridiculous things, uh, absolutely ridiculous things, things that if Elevate did now, I would not let be happy about. We had a game called the Fish Slap Challenge. Uh, anyone ever participate in the Fish Slap Challenge? Just so. Gary, did you not ever join in with this? No? Okay. So it was like, it's it, like people, it's olden days where there was no risk assessments. Things were safer back then. People didn't complain. Um, the fish slap challenge was a game where you'd get a frozen fish from a fish counter in Tesco, like a big one. And then kids would volunteer to be slapped around the face with a fish until it broke. Um, and can I just tell you, when it broke, it was not pretty. I remember there was fish eyes on the wall at one point. It wasn't great. And we do these things, and either Pastor Pat and David didn't know about them, which is possible because there was no social media, but really more likely is that they just were gracious to us. The worst thing we ever did as youth pastors, I don't know if you remember this, we did a game where we had a box of maggots where we put Bible verses in, and the kids would get them out with their toes. I mean, it's why Gary Riley got saved, probably. Uh, I don't know that, but I'm just <laughs> claiming. Write a song about that, Gary, <laughs> Maggot Faith. Um, and here's the thing. We were, we were 19, we were young, we were stupid. And so we, we bought these maggots and thought, oh, we wouldn't put them in the office in a box and see what happens. Um, then we went away for a few days and came back. And in science lesson, maggots turned to flies quite quickly. And when we came back into church, there was a noise. There was a hum, yeah, that was very similar. Yes, yeah, some of you may have been there. Um, and there was a fly infestation that we as the youth team caused in the church. And I remember going talking to Pat and David and saying, we've infested the church with flies. They're everywhere. You can't contain them once that box was open. They're everywhere. They're in the attic and everything. And do you know what their answer was? Oh, we just praise God that there's young people enough to make a mess in our church. And I remember thinking, one day I'll be like that. <laughs> One day, I'll be really glad that we have young people that make a mess in our church. One day, I'll be so, I'll just be like Pat and Dave, I'll be so gracious. And then you find out that one of the youth pastors has broken light with a football. You find out another one has got kids picking off paint off their newly done arms. You find out, and suddenly you become that person where I'm like, elevate and get cross and get like kind of antsy and stuff like that. And so easy to become old. And become hardened and become negative. Have you noticed about yourself? You find yourself saying things that you think, where did that come from? You start thinking, oh, I don't want to go to another, this sort of service. I've done that before. I don't want to serve on a team. I've been hurt before. I don't want to do this because it'll cost too much. I don't want to give again. I've tried giving a vision offering. It didn't happen for me. And we get hardened in our hearts. Grumpy is not an age. It's a mindset. And we're going to work at being a church who aren't grumpy who love each other, don't just tolerate each other, but love each other, accept each other, understand that we're not all the same, and that's brilliant. I don't want a church that's everyone like me, because it'd be really annoying, and it'd be organized, but it would be a bit, you know, lots of stuff that wasn't like me, and just, I want diversity, we want inclusion, we want things to be different, and we've got to understand that just because we've been there and tried it before, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but his methods change. We've got to keep soft hearts, we've got to keep open to Holy Spirit, and for Peter, he could have easily said, I've tried it. I've done it before. It doesn't work at this time. But something in him said, I'm going to go again. 
last thing he could have said is, who do you think you are? You're just a carpenter. Jesus didn't do fish, he did wood. And yet here he is telling Peter a fishing tip. But something in Peter recognized Jesus is no ordinary teacher. Something about him realized there is something magnificent about who this man is and what he carries. We've got to recognize the authority of Jesus. You called him master. Yeah, master, because you say I can, I will do this. We've got to be people who recognize this. As I was driving to Workington on Friday, you know, I, I found that one of the reasons I like driving, especially on my own, is it's boring and it feels like a waste of time. So I thought, I'll make it more useful. I'll phone people on the way, kind of do some of my jobs that I need to do when I get home. So I called my dad, because, uh, you know, he likes a phone call every now and then. So I called him. And as I was driving, he was like, where are you going, love? So I just said, oh, it's just driving to work. And it's a really boring drive. I do this all the time. And suddenly I thought, oh! How has this become that I described the drive to Workington as a boring drive? As I'm driving past one of those beautiful lakes ever, there's mountains on this side, there's mountains on this side. People come from all around the world to a place where I'm just describing to my dad on the phone, it's just a boring place, I've done loads of time before. Suddenly the, the wonder of where I'm driving was completely lost. And I wonder sometimes if the same is true with us with Jesus. We become so complacent about him. We become so used to him. He becomes like an ornament that we bring out every now and then, or like those shoes that we wear sometimes. They're just comfortable shoes. But actually, he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the authority in our life. And sometimes we need to bow to his submission, even when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes if you're following Jesus, he's going to ask you to do things that make no sense, but we've got to identify in that moment, are we following our heart, ourselves, or what Jesus says? Are we fully submitting to what God says? There are many things in the Christian journey called discipleship that mean that we deny ourselves and follow what he says. And if we fully trust Jesus, we've got to allow him to speak into things. Band, if you want to come to the stage and join me as I finish. Verse 6, when we read on in this story, it says this. When they'd done so, after they set back out again, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to come from the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink when they submitted to what Jesus did, when they got over feeling afraid, when they got over their tiredness, when they got pushed through what felt secure and comfortable, when they pushed through, they had this incredible catch of fifth, so much so that they almost started to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee's. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up and went on shore, left everything and followed him. They pushed through the feelings, the emotions, the, the thinking, the logic, and they did something. And Jesus rewarded them with a massive haul of fish. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. I wonder sometimes if we push through a bit more in our devotions, if we push through in our Bible reading, if we gave Jesus that extra five minutes in the morning, rather than rushing, rather than scrolling Facebook, if we just sat in his presence a bit longer, if we just gave him a little bit more space, I wonder what he'd speak to us. I wonder what hole we'd have in our life. Sometimes, sometimes we're so cautious as people. We're so hardened in our hearts Peter could have said, hey, I, I, you know, it's great you've done this, Jesus, but now you're saying leave everything. Like, don't you know these nets cost a lot of money? 
These nets would have been very, very expensive. They had to be cleaned all the time, otherwise they quickly start rotting, and then they be completely unusable. They may have been passed down from his father. These nets were expensive. And Jesus said, you're not going to fish, fish anymore, you're going to fish for men. Now, we read this and we understand what that means, because we know, okay, Peter, he's going to be there walking on water soon. He's going to be feeding people with the 5,000. He's going to be the one that's seeing little girls raised from the dead. He's going to be the one that's seeing all these incredible miracles. We know what's going to happen. But all Peter hears is, leave everything and follow me. There must have been part of Peter's life that was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'll come in a few minutes. Let me just sort my nets out. Let me just get my stuff together. Let me just check with everyone. Because, I mean, he's got a family. He's got responsibilities. And yet Jesus said, leave everything. And so it was a moment when Peter had this kind of almost pathway moment of, where do I go? Do I stay with what I know? Do I stay with what's comfortable? And just kind of live off the wind that I've just had? Or do I pursue Jesus even more and leave everything? And sometimes we come to a point as Christians where we say we're going to lay down this stuff of before. Even the expectations and dreams, I'm going to let those things go. And I'm going to be more consumed with the pursuit of Jesus than the pursuit of the provision. Because Peter had just had those hundreds of fish. He could have lived off those, that provision for weeks. And yet he chose in that moment, I'm going to be more consumed with pursuing him and the unknown than the known that I have. And sometimes we are comfortable, if we're honest, we're comfortable with our stuff. We're comfortable with what we know. We're comfortable with with what's familiar. We're comfortable with the sin. We're comfortable with the pain because we know it. We know it. And so we, we, we used to being anxious. It's who we are. And if we don't have anxiety anymore, who are we? We're used to kind of trusting ourselves and managing things so within an inch of its life and, and controlling everything. Because if we don't control it, what will happen? And I've had to go through some of that stuff myself. I am a control freak. That is my natural thing. That I have list upon list upon list. When we go on holiday, you should see the spreadsheets. I am a control freak. And so this is a constant choice I have to come to to give the shop shepherd his job back, to say, actually, I am not the great shepherd. He is the shepherd. And so I lay everything down again on a daily basis. God, I give it back to you because I've got to run my race with perseverance. And perseverance means sometimes it's not easy. As you know, I'm an accomplished runner. <laughs> not. <laughs> um, but I, I have run occasionally in a former life. Uh, and the reason I'm not an accomplished runner is because when it gets hard, I just sit down because it's just not pleasant or pretty. But sometimes in, in life, we do that. We don't want to persevere. We, we run and then something happens. We get an unexpected bill or someone says something that cuts us or, or we, th- this hurt comes back out of nowhere. Have you ever seen it happens on Sunday mornings more than ever? That just before you go to church, this stuff comes up and you're like, oh. But I want to encourage you, persevere. The run the race of perseverance. Push through what feels comfortable and acceptable to the other side, because on the other side is even better, because his presence is better than the provision. There is breakthrough on the other side. Jesus is saying, come on, run your race. I'm there watching. I'm cheering you on. We've got to run with perseverance, because we want breakthroughs, and that includes pushing through. And we know this, the story of Peter. Peter's story is not hunky-dory. Peter doesn't just kind of go off and live in puppy dogs and rainbow lands where everything's nice and everyone loves him. He ends up in all sorts of trouble. 
He ends up making monumental mistakes. And following Jesus does not mean you never make mistakes. It probably means you make even more and you're more aware of them. But also, there is so much grace when you're following Jesus. And the end of Peter's life, I mean, he's doing incredible things. He's speaking to thousands of people about Jesus. He's planting churches, he's doing amazing things. But he made a choice in that moment that I'm going to let go of what's familiar, what's comfortable, the stuff that entangles me. And I'm not a finished product, but I'll follow him anyway and leave what's safe and walk into what God's called me to. And I wonder if in these last few weeks even, God's been speaking to you about a newness, about a breakthrough. And I wonder if there's a sense of you're holding on to stuff. Can you imagine if Peter tried to follow Jesus and he's dragging these massive heavy nets with him and he's like, Do you slow down a bit, Jesus. I'm just, yeah, I know we're going to heal someone, but I've just got my nets. Can you imagine how much junk the nets would have caught up? All the sticks and stones and small dogs and donkeys and all the stuff that would have dragged with, you just, it couldn't happen. And sometimes we get stuck because we're dragging stuff. We've got to throw it off, the stuff that entangles us and run to what God's called us to. Why don't we close our eyes? Let's close our eyes in this place. God, we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here right now, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do. And you start to remind us of things in our lives that are entangling us. Maybe it's mindsets. Maybe we feel a little bit like jaded. Our hearts are hardened. We've become just church attenders rather than participants because we feel like we've been there, done that tried it before. Maybe we're feeling exhausted right now. God, I pray right now for those people that you'd give them fresh energy from the Holy Spirit. Maybe we're feeling a little bit embarrassed because we're the only one in our family that would be following Jesus, and that's not an easy thing to be. But God, I pray right now for confidence. Lord, I thank you that your provision is even greater in the next season if we let go of the last. Lord, for those of us like me who are control freaks and love to know the end of everything, I'd love to know how things are going to work out. God, I pray right now for new levels of faith that they have the confidence to take seemingly crazy steps to follow you, Jesus, that we'd move out of logic and into faith, Jesus. God, for each and every one, the Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd start to reveal to us what it is that we need to do, what we need to lay down to follow you, Jesus. Maybe it's bitterness or anger or hurt. Let it go, Jesus. And with eyes closed across this place, if you're in this building and you don't know Jesus, You've heard of him. You've come with a friend or a family member today. But you know you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. He's a Jesus that you've heard about, but you don't know personally. I'd love to pray for you if you'd like to know him. Would you, if that's you, if you think, yeah, I need a, a personal relationship with Jesus, could you raise your hand? And just two of the team are looking right now so they can come and pray with you later. If that's you, if you think, yeah, I need a, to know Jesus personally, could you raise your hand? The rest of us, we're going to worship again. And if you would love someone to pray with you, we've got a ministry team that, are, that love to pray with people. If you'd love someone to pray, especially about something that you know you need to let go of, I'd encourage you to come forward. Sometimes what happens is we make a decision in the moment, and then we go home and we add that crazy thing called logic back in, and we start to talk ourselves out of it. Do you know how many times I decided that I wasn't going to do the Workington thing? Even on the morning, I was like, I mean, I've got a bit of a headache. And Ben's like, you, I told Ben because I knew you wouldn't let me get out of it. He was like, you've already arranged, you've got to go. And I'm like, oh. like, even on the way over, I'm like, maybe we could just go and look at the venue and make it much more, you know. But sometimes you've got to make a decision. So if that's you, if you know, I need to do something like this, I would love you to come to the front as we worship. 
Minister, we're going to come and pray for you and just stand with you as we make these decisions to let go of some stuff and pick up what God's got for you. Peter had no idea what he was walking into, but it was so much greater than what he left behind. And the same is true of us. When we let go of stuff for God, he's got something even better. So let's stand. We're going to worship. If you know you need to respond, come to the front. The team will come and pray for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.